Hey girl. Hey boo. I'm Deanna. And I am Elvia. And we've been besties for over 15 years. That's right. And welcome to the Bestie Bestie Bone Bone Podcast, where we're going to be giving you guys all the tips and advice on the things we wish we would have learned when we were younger. From relationships, like living with your man, girl, I can quit complain about it all the time she sure does or talking about that single life and getting your flirt on Ooh, honey you trying to find that guy to make your corazón go beady beady boom boom yeah (laughs) that's good but that's not all we also are going to be discussing so many other topics like career highs and lows to wellness because we all need a little namaste Ooh, yes queen And we're going to be joined by some of our expert amigas to cover all these topics and provide you guys with some practical tips to live your best life. We sure will, girl. Please join us and be part of our amigahood. You don't want to miss us being our best and most blondie selves because we're so blondie. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Please don't forget to subscribe and we can't wait to hear from you. Welcome, everyone, to the Bestie Bestie Bone Bone podcast. We have lots of new today. Unfortunately, my co-host and amazing other bestie, Elvia, is out. But we have a new co-host sitting in the third leg of our amazing Amiga Hood, which we mentioned in our first episode, Elsa. She is our co-host for today. Elsa, oh, thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be here, and I hope I can move things along smoothly today. Yes, filling in for uh, filling in for Elvia, um, and of course today's episode we have an amazing guest, fellow Mexicana from Durango. Mm-hmm. Woohoo! Um, Luz Cadena. Elsa, thank you for having me. <laughs> Yay! Welcome, welcome, girl. Thank you so much for sharing this space, taking the time. Um, I don't think we've touched that much on health and wellness in our podcast, so I'm so excited for this episode. Uh, let's jump right in. So, Luz, let's do a full introduction. Tell everyone about your background, where you're from, um, your story, and like what you currently do now and what led you to it. Sure. I love to talk about myself, so this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm a writer and the founder of Life of Leisure. And Life of Leisure is a wellness movement that I started to help creative millennial women really um, reclaim their time because we live in this age of, of busyness and burnout where, you know, productivity is truly glorified at the, at the extent of our health. So I just wanted to create a, a space, a movement to to help others guide them in a direction to live more holistically and intentionally. Uh, But before I arrived here, um, I've always had a deep love for writing since I was very young. And so I give myself permission to pursue it a bit more seriously in my early 20s. And by this, I mean, you know, a bit of freelancing, nothing like let me make a full career out of it. I, I kept telling myself that I wanted to be a freelance writer, but I was making it happen. So I had to have a hard conversation with myself. And it, yeah, you know, I like, why are you not making this happen? If you, so, you're yeah. saying that you want. 
I realized that even though I love writing, I wanted to do a lot more than write. Um, and, it, you know, I got the idea for Life of Leisure and I'd always wanted to start a business. And so just everything aligned in that I want to host events. I love having conversations like this. So Life of Leisure just kind of allowed me to um, convey and share a lot of my interests and passions all at and once and writing being like a core tenet of it um but a bit of my background as you mentioned in the intro i am a proud mexicana from durango um i was born and raised there and my family moved here when i was uh, moved to the u.s when i was about 11 years old and you know I'm a very proud Latina um, and being a kid of, immig- of immigrants really informs and influences the work I do. Let's talk about health and wellness, wellness in the Latino community. So can you tell us about the immigrant generational wellness gap in our potential as first and second generation? Yes, I love talking about this because I really <laughs> it's not talked about enough, you know, and so The immigrant generational gap is the notion that most of our immigrant parents are in some form of survival mode because of their lived experiences. Immigrants, right, is having to, yeah, you know, having to (laughs) uproot and leave their home country to go to a host country. And just like that crazy, difficult experience. But us, you know, as kids of immigrants, we're a lot more concerned with thriving. And it's so interesting because a lot of immigrant parents cannot even partake in leisure or, you know, wellness simply because they may not even understand it. It's it's almost like a luxury that they haven't had the access to because they've been so focused on the grind, right? On working hard to give their kids, us, those opportunities and resources that they unfortunately did not have access to growing up. And it's so paradoxical because once like us, you know, their kids do have the access to these resources and opportunities that they have like broken their backs to give us, we realize that Yes, of course, surviving is important, right? We need a, a house to sleep and we need food, but the, we also want to thrive. So we start to think about meaning and fulfillment and what makes me happy. <laughs> um, so it's interesting because living to survive versus living to thrive looks so, so different. And so in my experience, there have been some friction because my parents may deem, you know, like uh, my leisure is, is lazy or unambitious because sometimes leisure can look, um, it can be hourly perceived as stillness. Or, you know, I always grow up with my parents being like, I just being huevona, you know, like you're so lazy. I hear this. I've always like grown up with this connotation that I'm lazy and I never took it personally. I always thought it was quite funny, but it's taken me years to realize that, you know, my love of stillness, of reflection, of introspection is something that my parents and a lot of other immigrant parents cannot understand because they're doers, right? Like my dad and my mom cannot stay still. And so, obviously, this is a huge generalization. Not, not all immigrants face this phenomenon, right? I think it's also influenced by education. My parents are, you know, my dad has, like, the education of a third grader. And my mom went up until, like, fifth or sixth grade. So I know that other immigrants, you know, they've gone to college. They have masters. So it may be different. But 
in my experience, this immigrant generational gap has been so, so real. And I also see it a lot in my media community, right? And so it's, I, I, on on the one hand, I want to, um, you know, like really appreciate the, the hard work ethic that immigrants bring and they instill in us. But at the same time, it's a bit sad that oftentimes they don't realize the importance of resting and recharging, right? And so this can lead to burnout on their end because inevitably living in the U.S., we're going to feel stressed, anxious, sometimes oppressed. And I say this because I've seen it happen with my mom. You know, she's someone who um, always, we've eaten very healthy, thankfully, but she ended up with diabetes from lack of sleep and stress, and uh, this happens to a lot of other people out there. And um, this, uh, the, the notion of the immigrant generational gap is something that is uh, based on Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he was a psychologist, uh, I think from the 50s or 60s. And he's kind of viewed as a godfather of positive psychology, right? Where before, uh, before him, psychology as a discipline was mostly concerned with what was wrong with our brains and our psyches but Maslow was more interested in like well what makes a good life and so he came up with a pyramid and there's five uh, five sections so at the bottom are physiological needs then you move up and there's safety then there's love and belonging then esteem and at the very deep tip there's self-actualization And obviously, you know, the bottom two ones are very basic. It's like having a house to sleep, eating, having a job, and then love and belonging. Well, that's friendships, romance, connection, esteem that's dealing more with respect, self-esteem, status, you know, and self-actualization that's about meaning, fulfillment, purpose. And the way that I look at it is that a lot of immigrant parents, they're very concerned with the bottom three, but I, as a kid of an immigrant, Obviously, those are foundational, but I'm a lot more interested in love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. Dang, girl. That was excellent. I know. I'm like, I have so many. I I feel like I have so much follow-up. I I think that this whole podcast episode could just be about this question and this entire notion. Agreed. Because there's just so much guilt that comes when you are only focused on some of the tenants and not the bottom yep. three that you mentioned. So just me getting rid of some of that guilt and moving on to towards more like your space. And that's great of self. Well, yeah, because I find that our parents have instilled in us this incredible ethic, right? To work hard. But at the same time, that ethic can also be toxic. Like I've had, um, I've had close friends who, you know, they were let go of their jobs for no re for no fault of their own. And they took it so personally, like a personal failure. They went into a depressive episode. And it was so hard for me to understand where they were coming from, right? Like why they viewed that specific job so, so importantly. And then the more I spoke with her, she told me that in her household, her father had always said, you know, like the gospel of work, how important work is and that work, you know, it's like so tied to your value as a person. And and we see that in the immigrant community, we see that in, you know, like very um, into the much richer classes uh, of people that are maybe, I don't know, the one percent, five percent. I just have so much to say. It actually bothers me 
twofold. One that we oft that it doesn't bother me. That's not the, the best choice of words, but that we often instill in first gen, like parents, the immigrant parents, that all you have to do is work hard. Mm-hmm. Like, it really is not the case. And even they didn't have to work hard. But if it's all they knew because they were only ever in survival mode, then that's what that's the upbringing that you were brought up with. The only thing that you ever saw was a dad who worked really hard. Yes. And lacked in every other way. And I can say, personally speaking, I actually had to confront my dad about this one time. I said, you know, dad, some, this is me when I was like 17. I thought I was so philosophical. <laughs> like, que sabia, pendeja, nada. Like, I, I don't know who I was. But I told my dad, I'm like, dad, I'm like, you think that what you're doing is right, but all you are is a provider. Like a real dad would like listen and talk to us and spend time with us. Because if not, all you're doing is like providing money. Yeah. Like, what good is that? Yeah, the physical. I mean, it's right? good, but it's yeah. like. It's what he knew how to yeah. do, girl. No, it's but what I'm saying in general, that's what. All, I bet you if you talk to any Latina, most first gen Latina females who had who grew up with their fathers. It's like their dads worked really hard. Yeah. Their dads worked really hard. They worked really hard to give me this life. Yeah. And it's like, and what about everything else? Yeah, no. Like, what else did he give you? Yeah. Like, he just showed you that working really hard. And in all honesty, like, actually, the most successful people, it's not because they worked really hard. It's that they were well-educated, made really smart choices, and that helped elevate them. Now, there's a combination of hard work and hustle, but it's, like, not the determining factor of success. Yep, yep. And, and you know, it's yeah, right. and it's just, like, this notion is really um, prevalent and perverse in the in the immigrant community. And the, for me, it was interesting because I completely uh, I completely relate to what you're saying, Liana, about your dad being really hardworking. Um, yeah, you know, I grew up in Mexico and my dad would be in Mexico three months and then three months in the U.S. But when he was in Mexico, you know, we're from from uh, like a little village in the mountains. So he was hanging out with the cattle and he was working. Right. So I like you, I didn't really get this notion of um, of having a close relationship with my father the way that I do with my mom. But luckily, my grandpa, my father's father, he was that like. Uh, permanent father figure to me and interestingly enough my grandpa was not the hardest worker he was more of a thinker <laughs> and so so he was <laughs> an intellectual that really influenced me greatly and he was deemed as someone that didn't really work very hard and, and I mean I won't even go into his story but he was up, up, you know like every other person he had a lot of flaws but he was someone who really thought deeply about life and things. And uh, I spent a lot of time with him. So, of course, you know, his way of viewing life influenced me greatly. And I think I get kind of my notion of leisure and introspecting and thinking and reflecting from him because he's someone who loved to read. And so he'd tell me about history and, you know, his tales of coming to the U.S. to to work and, I don't know, like picking strawberries but to me you know that he was such a great storyteller that it, it seemed like these incredible adventures that he was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh, okay traveling sweet. is cool leisure is cool and of course at that age it you know when I was six seven eight I didn't have the vocabulary for leisure but I just like understood innately that um enjoying life was actually like a huge point of living <laughs> I think that's dope girl like I don't know very many abuelitos. Mostly they're even more traditional than your father, yeah, you know? Yeah, no. And to have an abuelito who was so woke. <laughs> <laughs> he was all about self-preservation, bro. He had yes. it right. He was ahead of his time. Uh, I want to actually play the other side. 
I also think that we've become a culture, and this isn't Latino specific, of too much. Let's live a life of purpose. Live your passion. I, you know, and and you hear it over. I mean, how many cliche quote posts have you seen? Like, live a life with purpose. Live your purpose. Live your passion. I get DMs all the time. Like, I love that you're living your passion. I love that you have your purpose. I'm sure you probably get that too. But it's like, well, girl, I also work full time to pay my bills. So I'm both, you know, I'm at the bottom of that, of that spectrum at the top of that spectrum, you know? of uh of the triangle that you sort of talk yeah. through or the pyramid that you talk yeah. through it's like i believe in both i think you can have purpose and passion but i also think that you should work hard and like provide like i i'm sort of like hitting every step i don't think that it has to be an either or mm-hmm. i think it's an and i i completely agree because we've created this to- toxic culture of follow your passion your bliss your truth sometimes your passion and your bliss ain't gonna pay the bills and that's <laughs> you know like and we have to be grown enough to accept that so it's also it's so toxic because it's saying that if you don't love your daytime job then you're doing it wrong the truth is that for the majority of history jobs have never were never meant to give us meaning they were meant to pay the bills like that's really what jobs were supposed to do and we were maybe not supposed to but most people probably found meaning or uh yeah meaning or purpose or passion outside of it through or, or whatever it was but now that we live in the hustle culture it says that if we enjoy i don't know knitting or literally anything that we could monetize this hobby and that's fine if you want to have your own business but there's like nothing wrong with having a daytime job that's good enough and you get your your fulfillment from a side side thing that you're doing even if you don't want to monetize it like it's okay hell yeah girl elsa i wanted to just I'm sure you have a lot to say because, like, could you imagine us talking to our parents like, uh, I want to live a life with purpose <laughs> and passion. They'd be like, Keke? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, as long as you go to college, you can figure it out. But, but also, you grew up it? with um, with really educated parents and very kind of health and wellness mindful parents. Luce, just to give you a little little quick synopsis, like Elsa's parents, when I was girl, you know, Elsa <laughs> and I actually have known each other longer than I've known Elvie. I've known Elsa since the second grade, so I don't know what, whatever age wow. that is. And we were best <laughs> friends, like, you know, we had like the necklaces that were like half the heart. She had the best and I had the friends. We c- come back. We took, we took pictures of oh, them all yes, together. With girl, yes, girl, yes, all that. Strong bonds. And I would say a lot of our upbringing was probably influenced from each other's parents. But I learned a lot about, like, very adolescent needs and things through Elsa's parents that my parents would never talk to me about. Mm. And I always found Elsa's parents to be so progressive and hip because my parents, I found them to be, and even though they're not super traditional, more traditional in, in talking about this immigrant parent sort of persona that we're, we're talking about because, again, it's not everyone. But also, you grew up with, like, very progressive, like, cool, hip parents who, like, weren't sticklers <laughs> about a lot of things and not super ignorant. I don't know if that's the proper word. Um, but how would you say your upbringing was in, like, balancing this pyramid? So, I think I was definitely on the – I got lucky. I think I won the parent lottery. There's hands down. <laughs> but – 
my parents were college educated and and you can't choose who your parents are ever right you also can't choose who your damn kids are but (laughs) but I feel like my parents were are progressive amongst like themselves and compared to the rest of their friends they're progressive um, in comparison to the rest of their family and they're very progressive compared to a lot of my friends parents so I definitely won the parent lottery but um, with leisure and living intentionally, I, I definitely think my parents uh, do subscribe to the work very hard culture. And only after you have achieved your goals, um, do you deserve a, a, a big vacation or mm-hmm. something along those lines. It was kind of like a, a work up to your very big reward kind of, I don't know, mentality. My dad woke up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning, 4 a.m. Uh, every day for the last 30 years almost. So he, he was definitely a hard worker. But all of that, I think, um, is different than most immigrant experiences because they went to college. Um, even though they worked very hard, um, I think they understood the importance of rest on the weekends. And... Um, I think I got lucky because my mom had home cooked meals for me every single day. I had like cut up fruits and vegetables waiting for me after school. And that was her form of preser- of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It was her way of keeping us healthy and fed. And she would bring me enchiladas to high school. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> Dang, I don't remember that. Girl. I didn't, you never gave us some. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would eat them like in the library. But Anyways, that's uh, that's my take on my parents. But I wanted to ask you, Luz, what? How do you explain to your family and, and parents um, how to live holistically and intentionally? Like, I I don't think that's a very easy topic to brace with most immigrant parents. And then, what do you tell folks to do daily to ensure that we're living in this way? Sure. So, I mean, to be quite honest, with my parents, I have realized that. It's almost like, what's the saying? It's really hard to teach old dogs new tricks. Uh, and yes. so I'm not so much like trying to be their life coach, right? Because I'm their kid. They're my parent. So <laughs> I think that it, it all, they cannot exactly, tell them what to do. Ultimately. I can give them advice. Like when my mom is stressed or anxious, I'll be like, okay, well, have you stretched? No. Okay. Like, you know, it's almost like I've, I've already given you the advice that stretch, you know, like you should. Oh my god, it's so funny you say stretch. My mom watches YouTube videos and stretches. I, I will send so my funny. mom the videos and then she'll just not do them. And so it, it's a little frustrating for me, but I remind myself that you know I'm not going to come and change my parents. And so I can provide the information. I can sometimes be like, okay, well, let's stretch together. But it's just it's so hard because I don't think my mom, my dad, I don't think they, um, for them, um, leisure wellness is not necessarily like a pillar of, of their lifestyle. And, and it may be in different ways, right? Like, for example, when my mom is really stressed, she'll go get acupuncture, which I love. So it's just more like, I, I don't necessarily have the answers to my parents. And maybe it's because I'm too close to them. I think long term, I would love to work with immigrant communities. But I feel that in my current state, I still need to almost like come up with a framework framework that would speak to them uh, because right now I'm I'm more targeting women like us, you know, um, mm-hmm. because I it's almost like yeah you get it we, we come from like the same mindset. So for more millennial women, I say that 
you know living more holistically and intentionally it's like it's such a, a personal journey and depends completely on on their lifestyle just because you know their their needs and desires will be very different so for example you know there's no like one size fits all approach just because like let's say that a mom with two kids um her version of leisure will be so different from a woman who's a ceo without kids but there is kind of like a very basic um advice that I give to people and so I call these like the three pillars of wellness and I divide them by body mind and soul because people need simplicity right so um, I think that this also ties into the pyramid the Abraham uh, the Maslow's pyramid so body would be it's like your foundation mind is the middle and soul or spirit is the very top and so with body is very simple. It's literally eating and moving. And we all know that we are what we eat. But oh my God, it's so hard to, to eat healthy, right? <laughs> it's hard when you're Mexicana and you grow up with manteca tortilla. <laughs> I know, I know. Are you kidding me? I wish my mom was cutting out the like now, <laughs> my 30s. Exactly. So what I tell people is that like I try to eat healthy and by healthy I mean home cooked meals with veggies, non-fried foods, non-frozen, limited amount of meat, etc. about 85% of the time. And then the rest I literally eat whatever I want. Yes, I eat fast food, I like it, but it's like 15% of the time, you know, in a month or a week or whatever. And so I think here the emphasis is on trying. It's impossible, you know, to to stick to like really strict regimes of of healthy eating or what have you sometimes I have a great week sometimes I'm eating ice cream every single day or pizza or whatever and that's okay so you know eating is really the foundation of a body that feels good and then I also advise obviously movement and movement is exercise so I I tell people do whatever you like three to four times a week for 30 minutes for me that is yoga and jogging some form of cardio so that may be like whatever it is for you maybe that's just a walk or who knows there's so many forms of exercise these days so that's body literally eat healthy 85% of the time and move three to four times a week then we go up to the mind and the mind I break break down um by hygiene and exercise and hygiene may sound a little funny but there's been so much uh, lately there's been a lot of studies that look at the importance of sleeping and essentially the findings are that sleeping for seven to eight hours a night is essential for our brains to process all the data and information that we have absorbed the previous day and if we don't sleep between seven and eight hours it's almost like our brain was unable to clean up the gunk like clean up um you know everything that like sort things out file you know it's almost like an organization system and so if we don't give it enough time to organize it it's incomplete um so that's that's you know hygiene is essentially sleep and then exercise for the mind i think that a lot of us forget that just like, you know, we may move our body to gain flexibility or maintain joint health or build muscle that the same applies for the mind, you know, because the mind is a muscle. And I, I, there's a Dooku yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Things like that, you know, and it's such a powerful muscle. But if we don't, if we don't learn how to control it, how to master it, it ends up controlling us. So the way that you build mental resiliency, there are so many different ways, you know, like you just say puzzles, um, there's meditation, mindfulness techniques, there's therapy, right? A lot of us have traumas 
uh, or are going through things that we need help. There's also the more unconventional methods like psychedelic experiences. So there's there's so many things to aid us with uh, with our mind. And then lastly, we have, you know, the more self-actualization from our pyramid, which is the soul. And the soul, in my opinion, is really about self-knowledge. And self-knowledge, you know, this is this is connected to the fulfillment, the purpose, the metaphysical, philosophical things. And the way that I view self-knowledge is that it starts by cultivating self-awareness. And for me, what works the best is to journal regularly, not, and not only journal regularly, but make a habit of rereading what you wrote, because if you just write and write, but you don't actually read what you wrote, then it's kind of, uh, you, you're not really <laughs> learning about it, right? Girl, that's how I feel about vision boards, but that's another thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there, too, that are like, oh, but journaling is so boring. I don't know what to say. Like, and and I, for me, it's almost like I cannot even understand because I have such a hyperactive mind that I view journaling as a way to process the emotions, the thoughts. So if I don't journal for a few days, I'm like anxious. But for those people that don't know where to start, I always give them these three prompts. And I say, first answer what is causing you anxiety because we all have anxiety you know throughout the days throughout the weeks especially in this 2020 right so just and you may be surprised just by asking yourself this what comes up so that's the first one what is causing anxiety the second one is what is causing upset what are you pissed about what are you angry about what's irritating you I personally (laughs) am a very irritable person so I always have shit that's irritating me (laughs) Uh, you know, so it's like my, <laughs> venting to myself and the fun, the last one I ask is what is causing excitement what are you looking forward to and this is nice because you end on a positive right maybe it's um, oh I'll be seeing a friend tomorrow for dinner or whatever so if you answer these questions you know and it can be for journaling if you're not a journaler asking you to do it daily is a lot I don't even do it daily I do it every other day so three to four times a week whatever you know whatever seems realistic for you and your schedule I say start there and you know for the soul there are so many other things that I could say but I genuinely believe that most of us struggle with body and mind so why am I going to tell you about self-actualization when we need to get the physics down (laughs) you know what I think girl Imagine what our lives would have been like if our parents would have been practicing these things. Oh, my God. Like, imagine what our life would have been like if our parents were practicing daily journaling and gratitude and meditating. And not to say that there aren't parents who are not like that. I'm sure there are. But I just think, like, what would my upbringing have been? Again, no regrets. I loved my life. But I just do contemplate, like, wow, I hope that this generation of millennials is gives their kids this. Yes. Yes. So that they can then internalize it and then give it to the next generation and so forth and so forth yeah because Um, these are tools for living right right yep I want to ask you about talking about leisure and like how we can go through this sort of process Um, you already know girl how I feel about the self-care world and how it's become so sort of fluff yes Um, (laughs) and uh, over commerce and it's like kind of bullshitty (laughs) (laughs) so I want to talk about the difference between like understanding self-care and leisure especially given that it's become so popular like everyone and their mom talks about self-care 
but they talk about it in a way that is like from a monetary standpoint, not from like true self-care. Yeah. Um, sort of those differences between self-care and leisure uh, and what we can do and the things that we should not try to not buy into. Yeah. Sure. Like, like face masks. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So I love to talk about this because most people don't even really, they don't even stop to question, you know, these things that they practice or they partake in. And this is the philosopher in me that's like, question everything. But I really do question it all. <laughs> uh, so leisure essentially means um, free time, right? That's really what it means. But it's it's a free time in which you're allowed respite from work, family duties, and any other obligations. Like literally not doing nothing is what leisure is and so um in order to really enjoy leisure we need access to free time and so how much time we have to navel gaze is really determined by our class our socioeconomic status and gender because you know i don't know if you know this but like the the average woman has about 30 to 40 minutes less time of leisure as a man and we know why right like we're in charge of the domestic of the household of cleaning yeah yes so so that's already kind of like the foundation and uh, leisure is actually really old leisure was invented by the ancient greeks and they invented it because this was like the vehicle that led to the rise of philosophy um and the greeks being the greeks very clever people <laughs> um they viewed leisure as an enriching time to really seek the truth and understand the self right like they were all about contemplation and reflection because they to them leisure represented true freedom of self so that you know when you're when we're working um on whatever our mind is occupied right at the task at hand so mm-hmm. and leisure was this time in which they could think and contemplate and ponder um uninterrupted and so a, a important caveat that, that i always like to uh call out is that leisure even though you know it was very important for the greek the greeks it definitely was more accessible to the affluent uh greeks right like i always joke that um there were no broke greek philosophers you know that <laughs> the poor peasants were busy building the parthenon while socrates and his fellow aristocratic apprentices were taking luxurious long baths and talking about philosophical and meta things and you know what is the meaning of life so it's it's important to realize that leisure has historically really been a privilege enjoyed mostly by the upper class and hence why you know that's the legacy that we now have as kids of immigrants leisure may not come as easily to us as to our white counter um, counterparts and it's because of this because we're you know we're immigrants so we're going to have uh, we're going to be lower on the socioeconomic uh, class. Yeah, girl, we're the ones building. We're not the ones exactly. in the back. We're the poor peasants, but I'm over here like, no, 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 no. I'm a, I'm a Socrates, okay? <laughs> so, um, You're like Socrates with a rosé when your girlfriend's exactly, just chilling on the beach. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, and, you know, it's really cool because, so this is kind of the context and the history of, of leisure. But with the rise of industrialization and capitalism, leisure really lost its connotations to the origins of the word and the concept and so leisure became completely associated with working and now you know leisure is free time from work (laughs) so 
<laughs> so that's like the long-winded way of what leisure is. Um, self-care has an interesting journey because self-care went from being a medical term to a political term to wellness. And literally the definition, the, uh, the first definition of self-care was an emphasis on the prevention of disease or illness and the maintenance of wellness. It was literally taking care of yourself, right? Eating well, sleeping, what have you. So those are the medical roots. But then it became political, specifically in the U.S. around the 50s, 60s, um, because this was during the time of the civil rights movement. And a lot of people don't know that self-care literally was started by the Black community. Um, it was it was very popularized by Audre Lorde, who was a Black lesbian writer and activist. And she first wrote about self-care in the context of she was dealing with cancer. So she was talking about, um, you know, self-care not being selfish or indulgent, but really being a political act. Because obviously, as we know, the Black community has been oppressed uh, forever and they have faced such crazy levels of racism. So she was really advocating for the wellness of the Black community. And simultaneously, this is where when the Black Panthers were also um, advocating for uh, for the Black community to take health and wellness into their own hands. And so it was really radical, you know, for an oppressed group to say, to be living in, in an inherently oppressive system and to say we're going to take health into our own matters but you know as is the case with capitalism wellness very quickly became co-opted around like the 80s or so um, and this is when self-care started to get its modern take where you know it is targeted to affluent white women and that, that brings us to today where self-care has connotations of commercialization, superficial, where I think a lot of people associate self-care with indulgence and expensive rituals. Like you said, the masks or, you know, it's associated with consuming, right? When in fact, like leisure, self-care, these things could literally just be free, like take a bath or journal or whatever. But because we live in, in a capitalistic society, um, that's where self-care has, uh, like, where we ended up. And so I always say that the main difference between leisure and self-care is that for us to have self-care, true self-care, we first need a foundation of leisure, meaning free time. So, you know, if... That is so, so true. You exactly. can't have one without for a And if you're other. trying to partake or practice self-care, but you're rushing or, you know, also I think a lot of people out there, they confuse buying the face mask or buying whatever for actually taking care of themselves. And that's just the culture that we live in. <laughs> I have to tell you, oh, girl, yes, yes, and yes. First of all, fuck do you know your facts and your history? Like, that's so dope that you come from a place of like true education and understanding of like this premise, not some fluff bullshit that we're given often. Exactly. Um, I probably even say things. I'm like, oh, I probably should never say that. <laughs> Cause like, I don't actually know the rooted facts. Right. But I wanted to tell you like sort of on a tangent, I actually took myself on a trip to Hawaii on my quote unquote self care journey. But the reason I'm telling you this is, like I have a partner, right? And I, I don't, I didn't want to go with anybody. I wanted to go by myself and I wanted to do nothing. So I, I wanted to take a whole week. I had, I was in between jobs, so I didn't have to worry about a job. Although we should all think about leisure without work. Right. 
So I, I took this time to really just lay on the beach and I did nothing for hours, oh. hours. Okay, that is right there. That is my definition of leisure. <laughs> yes, and you're so right. And I, well, I was listening to podcasts. Yes, but, but, but I was just like chilling leisure, on leisure, you know? And I learned in, in, in listening to some of these podcasts, I don't know, I had like this moment, like I just started bawling because she was talking, this podcaster, I don't remember who I was listening to, but she's t- talked about how women, our whole lives are about giving and giving and giving and giving, and we hardly ever give to ourselves. It's almost like we were taught for such a young age to give to others, and we're always doing that. And it's like, you never actually praise yourself like, oh my God, she was using the example of like, oh my God, you're such a badass woman for giving to yourself by running a marathon or by doing nothing at all. But like, we're always praised when we do for others, Mm -hmm. right? We're praised when we're good mothers. We're praised when we're good wives. We're praised when we are good employees, you know, we're praised for doing, but we're never praised for just being. And I don't know, I that really hit home for me. And I was like, I'm so over like, I should, I don't know, I just thought it was like, and every mom that I know, like in my family was like, Oh, it's so cool that you went on this vacation by yourself. Like, I can never do that. I'm like, you should. Yeah, actually, you should do it more than I I didn't really I mean, I didn't really, really need it. But no, you did. Yeah, I'm not a mom, I'm not a wife, you know, but it was like very important for me. And I was like, it should be really important for you. And you know that it, exactly that is what I'm trying to advocate for with Life of Leisure. It looks so different for everyone, right? Like you you had the privilege to go for a week, maybe a mom can only get away for a full day without the cry, crying child and having to attend to the husband. And it's just that it's women specifically, it's Latin women we don't we're not socialized to give ourselves permission to take care of ourselves first and and if we do that we're sometimes deemed as selfish or or self-absorbed I've been called that a lot and I actually proudly claim that I am self-absorbed and selfish because I need to take care of myself first before I can give to others that's just otherwise it's not going to work out but I think that I'm really trying to normalize that um, because the fact that, you know, you were you were in Hawaii in this idyllic setting and you're listening to this podcast that you, that you now finally have like the time to really absorb the words of this woman and they're hitting you home. But I'm thinking if you're probably listening to the podcast in your normal day to day life, you're in L.A. driving, you know, there's traffic, you probably wouldn't even have like been able to be as open or to mm-hmm. absorb what you're able to absorb in Hawaii because of all the things that you might have had on your mind or you know, the to-do list or I have to get home and do X, Y, and Z. So, no, it is so, so important. Like, um, it, yeah, that's why we need a leisure movement. And that's why I'm aiming it for women. I'm not necessarily excluding men, but I just think that as women, we have a hard time giving ourselves permission to leisure. Elsa, I bet this hits home for you. I mean, Elsa has a little baby that's probably crying in the other room. <laughs> I have a kid who just woke up from a nap, like literally next door. <laughs> uh, we put him down for a nap right before we got uh, on the phone with you. Um, but yeah, it really does hit home. My mom has always been aware. Um, and she she did kind of socialize us, myself and my two sisters, um, knowing that la mujer latina siempre se pone al último 
And she's like, why do we do that? She's like, I don't really know. She she never claimed to have a true answer, but she always said that to us. So I felt like I grew up knowing that I cannot be last and I cannot take care of others before not taking care of myself. And it hasn't been, um, it, it's really been proven a, a challenge for me these past two years because I became a mother. And besides the, the lack of sleeplessness, it's just like you have very, very limited time or absolutely no time to yourself. Like, you know, doing your hair, putting on makeup, the very basic things that you used to do before are 10 times harder to do now. And um, yeah, and, and I don't even take care of that many people. I have one kid and my husband's really self-sufficient. He does everything. <laughs> Um, so I can imagine um, Latino women who are carrying burdens of extended family and, and then some. So I hope to keep reading your blog, first of all, because it's excellent. <laughs> and I really been taking notes from everything you've been saying. So Girl. thank you. Girl, I'm all about this leisure movement. Yes. And you it's so important. rooted in practicality, not this fluffy, uh, unrealistic unattainable I don't know spa retreat so I want the spa retreat yeah can I afford it no <laughs> girl that was me in <laughs> that was me in Hawaii <laughs> no I have to tell you I know we're gonna we're about to wrap this up but cuando yo me fui a Hawaii my dad's like eat my novio my partner he's like y no lo vas a llevar I'm like no dad I'm like, he's like porque you know ya no están juntos are you guys fighting I'm like no dad I want to do something for myself <laughs> And my dad could not comprehend Imagine. like what, what that meant. Right. Like, what do you mean you want to go travel alone? But I'm sure you've dealt with this too, being such a big traveler oh, yeah. and having gone far away. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, you don't want to take a vacation with friends or your partner. Like, what do you mean you're going to leave him back? And it's like, dad, this is not about him. This is about me and like my own like mental, emotional, spiritual needs. And I'm doing this for myself. Yeah. Like, I need to do this. I will be a better partner and a better e-class, so leave me alone. <laughs> no, it's true, girl. At the end of the day, you're going to come back a better you know, partner and a better e-class. Yeah. Um, I, just, I just look forward to the days where I can shave my legs. <laughs> it, and there right there is your leisure. But that's just that's just a fact. You know, That's just a reality. When you're a mom, I mean, both my sisters, they have kids and and of course, I don't, I don't have kids, but I see how hard it is. You know, like like you just said, you used to do it is so much harder yeah. than I ever yeah. imagined and I have hope and I have a lot of support. but still yeah no and uh, in, in, um, once leisure like you know evolves I want to really have um speak to the mom experience and obviously like I wouldn't be writing the article because I'm not a mom so I, I want to this is more long term because I want to be able to speak to the millennial women and you know as we get older a lot of us will start to have kids and so what does leisure mean when you have one or two kids now really I don't know <laughs> I think leisure with one or two kids I can take a guess I only have one kid but I think that may mean you know time in the day to work out for yourself um I think I'm a very practical person so I to me if I definitely can't go to a spa I would just be happy to take a long bath and stretch and put lotion on my legs feel beautiful Lotion on your legs, girl. That's so funny. I can't remember the last time I did that properly. I'm just gonna I put like... some coconut oil on. Can a sister just put some moisturizer? <laughs> All right, Moose. We're gonna wrap this and up. Wait, what? And I think another. I think something I can totally add to my list of I don't know releisurely moments would be definitely reading oh, your blog. Amazing. Well, thank you. It's great. 
I, I really, like, I legit really enjoyed reading it. Yes. All right, so we're going to wrap this up. We're in our final round. Um, Luz, you know why I created Misinformed Latina? Because I felt like I was so misinformed, including about all the things we just talked about. Um, I would love to know, what would you tell your 20-year-old young self knowing what you know now about life in general, inclusive of health and wellness? You know, there's question i i thought hard about it and for me i think i would tell myself to to trust the timing of my life and to focus on my path and my journey i think um for me personally i spent a lot of my early 20s questioning why things weren't happening fast enough or you know that person's already on a on a path that i'm uh that i would like to be on and so forth so this kind of comparison uh yeah this comparison trap and uh, it's it's not it's it's toxic you know it's not healthy um i also tell myself to do my googles literally research stuff like it's a google away um if if your parents don't have the knowledge if your friends don't the internet does so google it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's good advice bro google it (laughs) elsa you want to ask our last question yeah if we're i think we're just at time but What's the best advice you've ever received? It could be from your tia, your mom, your abuela, amiga, a coach, or a mentor. Uh, is it something that you still live by today? I, that from your abuelo, too. Exactly. You're oh, uh, <laughs> so much gems, but the thing that just came to my mind is, this is not even someone that I know, It's but I call her my godmother. It's Esther Perel, who's um, a relationship expert. And so her mantra really is that, the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our lives. And, oh, my God, I it's always rang true. But especially now, you know, being uh, in my late 20s and everyone's lives becoming busier and trickier and more difficult, right? Like who you really make time for, who you make commitments to, to being friends with, who you surround yourself with really makes up who you are and so I feel that the last few years have really exacerbated this um this statement to be more and more true and so this is part of my being more intentional with like the people that I allow into my life whether that's friendships romance really of all kind to just really be mindful of of the people that are in our lives Oh, that's so excellent. I think in Spanish, it's dime con quien andas si te diré con quien Yes, eres. yep. And my mom my <laughs> used to also love to say this to me um, when I was younger. So it's kind of cool that it's almost like from my mom, but also this woman who I really admire, uh, <laughs> and you know, who's a relationship expert. So yeah, no, for me, this has been so helpful. Um, and sometimes this means cutting people out, you know, that are just not necessarily giving you value or serving you in a positive way and it doesn't have to be dramatic you know but like literally taking stock of the people that are in your life and assessing you know like does this person need to be there oh i think it's so relevant to this podcast yeah. you know up by two best friends um of you know who are still in each other's lives yeah i i wholeheartedly believe that i say I only have two best friends in my life true best friends like I don't use that term loosely uh, and that's Elsa and Elvia and then everybody else to me is is amazing people in my life but I don't know if I would call them my friends like I will probably die knowing they will be at my funeral Ugh. you know like 
but Hi. but I don't know if everybody else other than my family. So I, I really wholeheartedly believe in like being selective. Like I am an extrovert and I love making new amigas and I love talking to people, but I feel like I have the friendships that I need in my life forever, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, and I think that intentionality too matters so much because I have found that in our youth, friendships are really based on convenience, right? Whether we go to the same high school, the same college, we live down the street from each other, we work at the same jobs. But as, as we get a bit older, you know, there are kids in the mix, we move cities, we move countries. So all of a sudden, you have to make a, an intentional conscious commitment to that person the way that you would with a romantic partner, right? Like, am I texting you? Are we going to talk once a week, once a month? Are we sending emails? I have found that some of the friendships that um, have almost faded have been because the other person didn't view it as a two-way street, right? Like, I'm someone that takes friendships so seriously that I'm like, okay, well, let's schedule the call because if it's not in my calendar, it's not happening. But... um, (laughs) But for them, it you know, it, it just, it started to feel like I was the only one reaching out or making the effort. And no, you know, you need that commitment from, from both parties. Yeah. I would say Elsa's probably much better at that. She definitely tries to check in with all of us pretty, at least once a month. And we probably don't check in with Elsa as much because she's a mom and it's like, we're not moms and we always think we're a bother, you know? But we should probably no. If anything, it's become more important now. So I encourage you to check up on your sisters who are mothers and and your friends um, who may or may not be mothers. It it actually the checking in only became more important for me after I had a yeah. kid. Checking with your bestie regularly, <laughs> <laughs> regularly, yeah, that's definitely self preservation right there. Um, because they make me laugh like no one else, and that that is my number one form of leisure. Yes, you are so important. <laughs> Um, all right, Moose. Well, this has been so damn informative, incredible, insightful. Thank you so much for sharing this time and this space and all of your amazing knowledge. I mean, it's going to be for sure one of my favorite episodes because it's just so insightful. I learned a lot. Um, where can people find you and follow you? Sure. Well, it was an honor to be on here. So people can find me at live. Uh, leisure.com and it's essentially life of leisure but without the f yes the domain was obviously taken <laughs> um and that's the same for my uh instagram it's live o without the f leisure um and yeah you don't know, find me on the website find me on the insta write me an email if you want um i love to chat so yeah thank you so much for having me diana and elsa Thank you. And then a big shout out to my co-host, Elsa, who stepped in for Elvia. I hope this was uh, a fun new experience for, for a new mom and and, and uh, something a little different than your everyday life, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. And it was really great. Thanks to our guests. So um, don't forget to subscribe, follow, review. The besties will be back with another episode next week. Thank you guys so much. Um, And bye. Goodbye.